Good morning. Oh, that's loud. It's a wonderful uh, thing to be here worshiping with y'all. Um, I will say last night I took the, Brooke and I went with the youth group to San Antonio and we worshiped for three hours straight with Crowder and Chris Tomlin. Um, it was amazing, but we got home about 2.30 and I'm partly regretting it, but when I think of, of how fun it was, I, I don't regret it. Um, but if my voice sounds a little different, it's because I sang for three hours straight and uh, some of these kids did too. Um, couple of announcements. Um, first thing I will say is the youth group is no longer meeting on Sunday nights. We are back to meeting on Wednesdays, uh, getting ready for school to start. Uh, please continue praying for our youth. Um, pray that uh, some of the youth who have been coming during the school year, that quit coming during the summer, that they would come back, that God would work on them. And uh, pray for those who are lost, that they would come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And pray for these kids that are faithful in coming to group every week. Um, they're still fired up from camp, and they want to share Christ with their friends that are lost. Um, if you're a visitor, in our bulletin, there's a little QR code. You open your phone, you open your camera, you put it on that code, and it'll take you to a website where you can fill out a uh, visitor's card digi digitally. Um, so if you would like to do that, if you're a visitor, I promise for the most part, you won't be harassed by the church. Um, they will only call you at least 10 times a week. Um, that's a joke. Any other announcements? Case has an announcement. So the uh, kickoff potluck for Pray For Me campaign will be August 13th at 6 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. Um, we are still in need of several men to be prayer champions and youth and adults that are interested in the Pray For Me campaign. Talk to Stephanie or Macy or Sydney. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, for our call to worship, uh, I'll be reading from Psalms 47, 5 through 7. God, God has gone up with a shout. The Lord, with the sound of a trumpet, sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all earth, sing praises with a song. Stand together. God, we come before you this morning just...
assured of salvation not because of a choice that we've made, but because the loving God that you are. Your word says that you are faithful and we are unfaithful because you cannot do that for
This morning there will be two passages I'm reading from. First one being Psalm 117, I'll read verses 1 and 2, and then Philippians 4, 4, uh, 4 through 7. Psalms 117. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Four, four through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.
This is going to be a new song to you, I think. Stand together.
Take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 17. If you did not bring a Bible, there should be one somewhere around you, a black Bible in the pews. 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 17 through 25. And this is the word of the Lord. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you this day. Lord, for we know you are the creator of all things. You are the sovereign king of all the universe. And Lord, you're the one to be desired most of all. Lord, as, as we sang songs this morning... As we sing, I need you, oh Lord, I need you, I pray that each and every one of us can see that we do need you, and without you, we have nothing, can do nothing, and are nothing. Lord, I confess to you that I need you this moment. Lord, I need you to speak through me, for Lord, I... On my own accord, I have nothing worth hearing. But Lord, I pray that your word speaks. 
And as we hear it, we respond to it. Lord, we do all these things for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as most of you know, Brother Shannon has been preaching through the first epistle to Peter, and something I want to do this morning before I start my passage is just do a little recap. This is Youth Sunday. If you notice, there were youth um, standing at the doors. That wasn't Larry handing out bulletins. There were youth standing back here singing. Um, we decided, since I was preaching and, and being the youth minister, today would be a good day to have Youth Sunday. The youth um, had shared with me that they wanted to be able to serve, to be able to do something in the church. And I said, how about we serve in the worship service? So something I do with the youth, that, and it's kind of how I've laid out this sermon in teaching them, I like to go back and do a little review, a little recap of what we've learned up until this point. Because I've found, and this may not just apply to teenagers, that sometimes, even seven days later, they have forgotten everything I've said. I'll be honest, it gets a little discouraging. And then all of a sudden, it's like their memory is rekindled and they just start spitting it out and... and that's very encouraging. So Brother Shannon started out with an intro, and we learned who wrote this letter, which is the Apostle Paul, and who, who it was written to was Timothy, and Timothy is his son in Christ. He's not his actual son, but he mentored Timothy, and he helped him to grow in his faith, and Timothy is now at the church of Ephesus. Some Bible scholars believe that he's a pastor there, he's an elder there, and others believe that he was sent there by Paul on Paul's behalf to deal with some issues going on in the church. In chapter 2, we learned that we, could, we should contend prayerfully. We should pray for all we should pray for all those in the church. We should pray for all those in powers of uh, positions of power, all those who are in authority um, in our church, but not just in the church, in our country, um, all over the world. That supplications, that prayer should be made for all people. Then we learn that we should, as a church, contend for leadership. Um, we should contend. This word contend means to fight, to plead for. Um, and we should contend for our leadership. And Paul lays out to Timothy, this is what your leadership should look like. You should have elders. Here are the qualifications they should have to meet to be an elder. And you should have deacons. And here are their qualifications. We learned that some of those qualifications are similar between elders and deacons and some are a little different. 
But those are the offices that God has laid out in the church, elders and deacons. And Timothy says, or Paul says to Timothy, these are what you should see in Ephesus. And then we see in, at the end of chapter 2 that we as the church should contend for women. When I knew I was going to be preaching in 1 Timothy, I said, please, Lord, don't let it be this passage. And I kid when I say that, but one time I had to, to preach out of 1 Peter, and it was about what the Bible says to women. And there were 13 people in that church at Parkview Baptist Church, and 12 of them were not men. But Paul says to Timothy, contend for women. And what we learn there is that women should be... we. I would say we should all be like this, but should be more concerned with the inward beauty, Christ within you, and showing that and displaying that to the world than our outward beauty. Uh, there was a problem in this church where women who were wealthy would braid gold strands into their hair, and it, it was kind of a sense of, look at me, look at all the things I have, look how God has blessed me, um, a lot of humility going on in the church of Ephesus with the women. And Paul tells Timothy, we need to contend for women in this sense and address these issues. And then once again, contend for leadership in chapter 3. Um, pray for your leaders. Fight for your leaders. We, we see, we've already seen that this is what our leadership should be. Now this is how you should fight for them. And then contend for the household of God, which is our church. Contend for your church, um, Paul says, and teach this to the church of Ephesus. And then contend against counterfeits. The major issue in the church of Ephesus was false teaching and false teachers. I want to read to you out of the book of Acts to give you kind of an idea of what went on in the church of Ephesus. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we see Paul in Miletus, and he sends for the elders of the Ephesian church. He calls to them to come to me. We've got to have a talk. And in chapter 17, it says, Now for Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know that I have lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I have set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews." How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues and says, Now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course 
and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Paul continues in speaking to the Ephesian elders and says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among who I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. You're not going to see me again, but I want to tell you these things, Paul says. Therefore, I testify to you that this day I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, this is the part we need to pay attention to. This is the problem that happens several years later in the church. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified." I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. How he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the reason I read that is because... In chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, contend for counterfeits, for false teachers and false teaching. Not contend for them, I'm sorry, contend against them. Fight against these counterfeits. And this is a huge problem in the Ephesian church at that time. And then again in chapter 4, we see instructions for contending. This is what it looks like. This is how you... Contend. This is how you fight. These are the things that you need to do to stand up for these things. As I said, the word contend means to fight for or against something. Fight for your church. Fight for your elders. Stand up for it, but fight against false teaching. It also means to insist something. Sometimes when you contend, you insist something. I insist that you do this. I insist that you follow the word of God, Timothy May said. I insist that you turn from your false teaching, repent, and follow after God. It also means to declare or plead with someone. And then we see contend for honor, which was two weeks ago. Last week we had baptisms. Um, two weeks ago, it was contend for honor, honor widows, not honor all widows, but honor those that were real widows, those that didn't have family members. Um, the church should honor them by helping them out, by supporting them financially. And then in verse 17, we see honor again. So the title of my sermon is contend for honor part two. I put a lot of thought into that. Um, 
actually, I, I'm terrible with titles, and I told Brother Shannon, I, I'm terrible with titles. I just want to open the Bible. I want to preach it. Coming up with the titles, terrible. And he said, well, it's talking about honor. How about contend for honor part two? And I said, that's great. So we're going to answer four questions as we look through this scripture. The first question we're going to answer is who is to give this honor? Then who is to be honored? Why are they to be honored? And how are they to be honored? Because verse 17 says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. We just saw in the beginning of chapter 5, honor widows. And now, Paul says, I'm going to talk about a different group that you should honor. And not only should you honor them, but you should honor them more than how I say honor widows. So let's take a look at the first question. Who is to give the honor? This one's not a hard one. The church is to give the honor. Paul says to Timothy, the church should honor someone in the church. I don't want to give away the answers, although you have a Bible in your hand and you can see it. But it's the church that is to be giving the honor here. That's who it comes from. It's not just from Timothy. It's not from other elders. It's the church that is to give the honor. Specifically, if you want to put it in the context, the church in Ephesus. Um, Paul is telling Timothy that the church you are at, the church in Ephesus, is to give the honor. Um, sometimes when pastors preach through these what we would call pastoral epistles, um, members of the congregation may say, well, why are we really going through this? This is from one pastor to another pastor. Um, this is an epistle for pastors. But Paul is talking to Timothy and saying, now you need to take these things that I'm telling you and teach them to the church. So in application, we should pay attention to these things. They are important. So the next question, and I'll put the answers up there. Who is to be honored? All of these questions, and when I, I go through these questions with the youth group like this, um, because that's how I look at the Bible. Who's saying it? Why is he saying it? And then any other questions that pop up as you read it. So who's to be honored? And I tell the youth, the, the answer is right there. It, it's right there in Scripture. So who is to be honored? It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So the elders of the church, Paul says to Timothy, those are the ones that need to be honored. But we just read that some elders are allowing false teaching. Some elders themselves are teaching these false doctrines. Um, Something else that was going on in the church at Ephesus is some elders were self-appointed elders. They wanted to be elders. They called themselves elders, and they were elders. 
They were not appointed by God, but they were self-appointed and ordained by the church. And this was a dangerous thing. But not just all elders. Look at verse 17. It says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So as we read this, we would have to say that some elders ruled well in Ephesus and some not so much. So Paul is saying, honor those who rule well, and we could actually turn that around and say those who do not rule well are not deserving of honor, and especially double honor. This word well um, means beautiful, um, means wonderfully, means amazing. Um, so these elders that rule well, they're they're good at what they've been called to do, and they're following Scripture. They're doing what they're supposed to do, and Paul says, make sure and honor these elders. I can only imagine that Paul would be saying also, definitely do not give honor to those who are not ruling well, to those who are not um, teaching true biblical doctrine. So, Paul says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. A couple of things we have to define here, and this is one of them. And you may say, I know what this means. I know what an elder is. I know what it means. But there's something little, a little different that we're used to versus what's on this screen. And that's the last letter of that word. Paul says, honor elders. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of honor. Not just one elder, but a plurality of elders. When you see this word elder used in the sense of speaking about those who are to lead the church, it's always speaking about a group of elders. This is not speaking about those who are elderly, those who are older than someone else. We are to honor our elders. We are to respect them and uh, do as they say in a sense. But Paul is speaking about those who Christ has put in place to lead the church. This word elders is used 64 times in the New Testament. Um, I didn't break down the count of how many times it's talking about the elderly versus how many times it's talking about leaders in the church. But the big majority of the uses of this word elders is speaking about those who are called to lead in the church. So what is an elder? An elder is a man who is recognized by his congregation, that's us as the church, as an elder, as a presbyter, as an overseer, or we use the word pastor. All of those words mean the same thing. In the Presbyterian church, they have elders, and then they over the elders, they have presbyters. So an elder is a man who is recognized by his congregation as an elder and leads the congregation by teaching the word, praying for the sheep, that's us, the congregation, and overseeing the affairs of 
of the church. An elder must watch over the flock. He must instruct all the sheep, strengthen the weak ones, guard the vulnerable ones, and rebuke the obstinate ones. That may be some of us sometimes. And bear with the difficult ones. An elder watches over the members of his church as one who will give an account to God. You may wonder, where am I getting these definitions? It comes from a book called from Mark Dever called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And it speaks, that, speaks about elders and it speaks about this is basically the definition you get when you go in 1 Timothy and see the qualifications. And these are the things that they should be doing. These are the things that we should see in our elders. So in the New Testament, local churches consistently have a group, a plurality of elders. Christ, the chief shepherd, means to care for his flock through a number of godly men who together teach, guard, guide, protect, and love the sheep. This means that every local church following the leadership of their pastor should look out for men who are already doing the work of an elder and appoint them to the office. In Acts 14.23, we read, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Philippians 1.1, Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers, which is elders and the deacons. So we see a biblical model of church polity, or you could say church government, church leadership. And we know Christ as the head of the church. He is the sovereign king. And then elders under Christ as the authority in the church. Some would say, well, what about apostles? Um, we see in scripture that all the apostles have died. There were no new apostles chosen and the church leadership was passed on to the eldership. So Christ as head, elders as the authority in the church, as the leaders and deacons, which that word in the Greek means servants or ministers, and they are to minister to the elders and assist them and to minister to the church, the congregation. So here's the big question. As we read this scripture, why are elders to be honored? Some of those answers I've just read, but why are they to be honored? We as a church should honor them. We should not just honor them, but consider them worthy of double honor. first and easiest answer and most obvious answer is because they are elders. We are to not just honor the man, but the office that they hold. They are elders. They have been chosen by God for that position. The church affirms that and ordains them, and we are to give them honor, double honor. And then the Bible says, in verse 17, Paul says, let the elders who rule well 
So we honor them because they rule and because they rule well. Now this word rule sometimes becomes an issue because when I, I mean even I can admit when I think of the word rule, I think of a, uh, like an evil dictator who rules over his people in a bad way. Um, but this is not what elders are called to do. They are called, this word rule just means directs the affairs of the church. We are to honor elders because they direct the affairs of the church. We are also to honor elders because they have been put in that position, should say, by God. Luke 10, 16 says, the one who hears, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He's sending his disciples out who later become apostles. And he's, he's sending them out to preach the word, to preach the gospel. And he says, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So basically, if you go to someone and they reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me and the one who sent me, which is God the Father. We could apply this to our elders. And we could say to dishonor an elder is to dishonor Christ. To disrespect or reject an elder is to dishonor Christ. Because it is Christ who is working through them. It is Christ who has put them in place as leaders of the church. And I pray that we as a church believe that. We called our pastor and we, as a church, decided God has sent him here to lead us and we as a church should follow. That's the biblical model of how a church should work. And then Paul says, honor, consider them worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Not all elders stand behind a pulpit every Sunday and preach and teach. But as we read in chapter 3, all elders should be able to preach and teach um, and should be able to do that when they're called upon. But typically there is one preaching and teaching elder. Sometimes we call them the senior pastor um, the senior elder. And Paul says those are the ones, especially those, should receive double honor. Now this word honor, actually, Paul is saying, and, and I'm just going to cut to the chase. I'm looking at the time. But Paul is saying you need to pay your elders and you need to pay them well. But not all elders get paid, but especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. In the Greek, the definition of this word labor means to work to the point of exhaustion. Those who preach and teach work to the point of exhaustion. You know, there was a time where I thought, this can't be that hard. You just stand up, you say what the Bible means. And um, I told Brooke, I don't think there has been a sermon that I have preached that I was not up almost all night the night before working on it. Now, last night I was actually up in San Antonio, as I said, worshiping with the youth, but then I was up finishing up the sermon. So there is a labor in preaching and teaching, and when I think of our 
Pastor, our elder, I know that he labors. He labors for this church. He labors for the glory of God. And we know that he preaches and teaches well, and he rightly divides the word. So, real quickly, how are elders to be honored? Because this is the important part. We see who's supposed to be honored, who's supposed to give the honor, which is the church. We see why they should be honored, because it honors Christ. They were put in place by Christ. But here's the application. How do we do that? What's that look like? And we see that in this passage. One, they are to be honored financially. Paul quotes Deuteronomy, the Old Testament, and says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. So an ox would go, the grain would be thrown down on the floor or on the ground, and the ox would walk over it and crack the hole of the grain. And there were some who would put a muzzle on the ox. I can't, the only reason I can imagine they would do that is out of greed. I want to get all of the grain I can and go sell it. And you are literally starving the one who is providing that for you. Um, so financially, I don't think I have to dwell on this very much because I know that as um, Cherokee Baptist Church, this is never a problem. We have always supported financially our elder. One Bible scholar believes that if a pastor is in a church who that is maybe predominantly poor, then that pastor can't um, expect to um, be wealthy in the, this financial honor. One Bible scholar believes that you, if you take the average of all the yearly income of everyone in the church, that should be the pastor's pay. I don't know where that's supported in scripture, but that's what I read. The, Paul also says the laborer deserves his wage. This isn't hard to understand. We believe that if you do a job, you deserve to get paid for it. And the same thing with our elders or our pastor. So how else are, honor, are elders to be honored? They're to be honored by being respected. You don't see this in this passage, but Paul says it to the church in Thessalonica. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And Paul's telling Timothy, you need to go to the church of Ephesus and you need to tell them they need to honor those who rule well, especially those who preach and teach, and they need to show them respect. Another way to honor elders is by submitting to them as leader. Paul's already laid out to Timothy, and Timothy went and laid out to the church at Ephesus that elders are your leaders, and you should submit to their leadership. As I said, our leader, we believe God has called him here to be our spiritual leader, and we as a church submit to that leadership. In Hebrews 13, 17, we read, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. 
So if we want to honor our elder, we submit to his leadership. Another way that we are to honor our elders is by protecting them from false accusations. And I definitely wanted to get to this point because this is important. Look at verse 19. Paul says to Timothy, Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. If we were to rephrase that, Paul would be saying, If someone comes up and they do not have witnesses, but they want to accuse an elder of something, don't even listen to it. Don't even entertain it. Ask them before you tell me this, do you have witnesses? And if they say, no, I do not, then we won't hear it. That's to protect your elders, to protect those who lead the church. Because they are the most attacked individuals in the church. If you're familiar with the Screwtape Letters, it's a book where the author gives this hypothetical situation in the sense of how is Satan going to attack the church. And the number one way is we got to get to the pastor. If we can turn the leader, we can turn the church. And Satan attacks elders in many ways. I want to read this to you. This is a study that was done two years ago about pastors, about shepherds of the church. 70% of pastors say they have a lower self-esteem now than when they entered ministry. Case, I'm not trying to scare you. Case has felt called to ministry, but this is important to hear. 70% constantly fight depression. 50% feel so discouraged that they would leave the ministry if they could, but they say, this is where I'm called to be. 80% believe their ministry has negatively, negative, negatively affected their families, and 33% say it has been an outright hazard. These are not good numbers. Um, 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. 90% work between 55 to 75 hours a week. 90% feel fatigued and worn out every week. Here are some reasons we should honor our elders, our pastor. And when I say this, I'm reading this from Scripture. I'm not saying that Cherokee Baptist Church does not honor their pastor but Paul is telling Timothy, and Timothy's telling the Ephesian church, and we read in Scripture, this is what we should do. But here, in modern times, this is a good reason why we should honor them, because I think there are times we don't realize what it is elders go through, and even deacons. 40% report a serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a month. How many times do you hear about someone sitting in the pews and saying, I don't know how he knew these things about me, but I feel like he's preaching directly to me. I'm going to send an email to him. My toes hurt. And I say that jokingly, but when toes get stepped on, sometimes 
We want to step back. Pastors get ugly emails all the time. 78% say they were forced to resign from their church, most commonly because of church conflict. 80% will not be in ministry 10 years later. 100% of 1,050 reformed and evangelical pastors had a colleague who left the ministry because of burnout, church conflict, or moral failure. 91% have experienced some form of burnout in ministry, and 18% say they are fried to a crisp right now. This list goes on and on and on and on. When I read these, I think of our pastor, our friend, our brother in Christ. I don't know if he goes through any of these things, but these are reasons that we should show honor, and not just honor, but double honor to our elder. We should protect them from accusations. We should respect them. We should submit to their leadership. And Paul says we should also hold them accountable. And that seems strange, but how do you honor someone by holding them accountable? Paul says, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. We honor them by treating them like any other believer. We are all to be held accountable. We are all to... to um, be confronted by our sin, and we are all to go to our brothers and sisters when we see them in sin and say, Brother, sister, you're in sin, and in love, we should say, Repent, come back, get back on the path. I will walk alongside you, I will help you. The same thing with pastors. And I think too much in churches these days when a pastor is found in sin, next week, Another church leader comes out and says, I, it, unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, we've had to fire our pastor. We're, too, we're so quick to just dismiss them. But scripture tells us if they repent, just like us, there is no rebuke. We rejoice that we have regained our brother or sister. Now, we all know there are some sins that are so heinous that they disqualify someone from being an elder or a deacon, any type of leader in the church. And Paul's telling Timothy, be prepared to do this. You will have to rebuke some of these pastors, some of these elders, and there will be some openings in the position of elder in the church of Ephesus. And look at verse 22. He says, do not be hasty in laying on, of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Paul simply saying, when these positions come open, don't be so quick to just put someone in it. If you don't test them, if you don't vet them in a sense, you're vouching for them, and you too could be held accountable if they turn out to be disqualified. So I'm going to stop with verse 23. As I have studied 1 Timothy and as I prepared for this sermon, I myself get a glimpse of just a tiny glimpse of what Timothy would have been going through. 
Paul says, there's problems in this church. I can't go. You're there, or I want you to go there, and I want you to deal with them on my behalf. You're young. Timothy was about 30 years old, and he was going to go to the church and say, some of the things you've been doing are wrong. Imagine having to do that. We struggle with going to our friend and saying that. And Timothy had to stand up in front of the Ephesian church, which I can imagine was way bigger than our church, in front of a lot of people he did not know, and say, based on Scripture, you're in sin. This would have been stressful. This would have, this would have literally caused my stomach to turn. And in verse 23, Paul says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Use a little wine, a couple of bottles or more. I joke, that's not what that says. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'll say this because Brother Shannon's watching. He said, you should, you should say that and joke with him. Use a little wine, just a few bottles. So some Bible scholars, when they study this, there's two views on this. The water during this time was horrible. It would make you sick. So for the most part, when you read scripture, they drink wine. Some wine was diluted, some wine was not, but the water was absolutely disgusting. So Paul could be saying, don't just drink water, drink a little wine. This water is making you sick. And then there's another view, which I, it could be both, but this one makes sense. Thinking about everything that Timothy has to do. Timothy, you've got to go to this church. You've got to tell these people that they're in sin. The church is in sin. Rebuke their leaders. Tell them the teaching that they're teaching is false. And Timothy's nerves. His stomach would have been in a knot. I would, there are times when I come up here I'm literally sick at my stomach just nerves and Paul says have a little wine just a little we know that scripture doesn't um, doesn't say that drinking is a sin it's drunkenness it's those who drink for the whole purpose of getting drunk but a little he says is okay for your ailments make you feel better because you've got to do hard things. You've got to go before this church and tell them everything that I have told you. Verse 21, he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules, everything that I've written to you, without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Go in there, in the church, be impartial, do not judge anyone and tell them what the word of God says. That you as a church are in sin and you need to turn from it and turn back to following Christ. So I end with that. Honor your elders. Respect them. Submit to them. You know, the toughest thing in this passage and many passages in pastoral epistles um, and I shared this with our pastor. How do you turn this transition 
into a gospel message. That's tough. If you read from the Gospels, if you read from other letters from Paul, like to the Romans, to the Philippians, it's easy to turn this to a gospel message. And right here in the presence of Christ and God, I cannot stand up here and preach the word and not share the gospel. I know it's late, but it's important because that's what we're called to do. So if you are in this church and you don't know Christ, the Bible says you are lost. You cannot be saved. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. I spoke to a young man who gave a very brief testimony up here, but he shared with me. He said, you know, I thought all this time because I was a pretty good person and because I went to church every Sunday and because I lived in a Christian family, I I thought I was good with God. He also told me, I don't really have much to say in the way of a testimony. Um, but he said that. He said, I thought if I could just be good enough and the good things could outweigh the bad things, I'd be good with God and be in heaven someday. And I want to tell you, if you don't know Christ, that's not the way to know him. You cannot be good enough. No matter how much you try, no matter what you do, you will never reach that point. But we have good news in scripture that says Christ is good enough, he was good enough, and he's already done it for you. That's something I struggled with. I read the Bible, I believed it, I went through the Old Testament, I said this is kind of scary, but I want to honor God, I want to do everything I can, and one day I just fell down on my knees and said, God, I can't do it. I can't do all these things to please you. And I'm not saying I heard God speak from the clouds. But there was this thought in my head. It's already been done. You don't have to do it. All scripture says is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the son of God, but he is God in the flesh. He came to this world. He lived for 33 years free of sin for you he willingly went to a cross the worst form of torture known to man for you and even worse he suffered the wrath of God for you trust in that he died and three days later he rose again and he says all who trust in me. All who see themselves as sinners unable to save themselves, put your faith in me and what I have done, and that's it. So I call on you. If you don't know Christ, do that today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. We could walk out that door and walk no more. You could not leave your seat. How arrogant we are to think, tomorrow I will do this, tomorrow I will do that. You know, I used to jokingly say to my children when I'd pull out in front of somebody, it's okay, it was on my side. I know Jesus, but you don't. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we do praise you. We praise you for the word that we have read. Lord, forgive me if I uh, did not present it in a way that is clear. I pray that it was. But Lord, you say we are to honor those that you have put in place as elders, as leaders of our church. We are to honor them. We are to submit to them. We are to follow their leading. Lord, because it is your son who is working through them and to dishonor them would be to dishonor Christ. Help us to see that, Lord. I believe we know it. Help us to continue in that way. Lord, also for those here that are lost, I pray that you're working on their heart, Lord, that you are drawing them near to you, resurrect them, that they may have the ability to come after you. Lord, we want to see revival in this church. We want to see dead souls brought to life so that we can rejoice with you in the host of heaven. Do a work in our church, Lord, and do a work through our church. Lord, we praise you for Christ and all that we have in him and through him. We pray this in his name. Amen.
That's a statement, but it's also a question that I don't think we can accurately answer. We, we can not measure the greatness of our God. But you know that song when it says our God, it's the one and only God. It's not just we have our God and they have their God. He is the one true and only God. And you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest with you. I am. And I want you to know that this comes out of love. I was standing down there thinking I went 20 minutes overtime, and I feel a little bad about that. But on the other side of, of the conversation I just had down there on the floor, it was worth every second of it. So, Ella, we're going to do this up here because I don't have the mic, so come here. My daughter, Ella who uh, I and my wife have seen God working on for a while now, came to me and said, Dad, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow after Jesus. I'm going to try not to cry. Because this has been an amazing summer. I'm just going to say that. Two of my children, and I praise God for this, um, have given their life to Christ. And we saw them baptized the other day. My nephew, the same. Uh, another young lady in our youth group. Um, and every time I witness that, I just want you to know that we're in the presence of a miracle. And we don't see those very often. We don't recognize them. And I think it's the greatest miracle known to man that a dead soul dead in trespasses and sins has been brought to life and brought to Christ Amen. even through my horrible preaching <laughs> God can use anything um, so this is Ella Graves who just received Christ as Lord and Savior my daughter my sister and your sister in Christ. I'm going to pray for Ella and then we're going to let her come down here and, and if you choose to rejoice with her and love on her and welcome her to the family. Um, God is doing a work in these young people and I, I don't believe just in the young people. I believe in this church. Let's pray. Father God, we do praise you for Ella. We praise you for the work that you have been doing in her, through your son, and through your word. Lord, we, we just thank you for her, for her life, for her desire to follow after your son. Lord, as a church and as our parents, help us to guide her on this walk. Help us to disciple her. Um, Lord, as she travels through this world that is no longer her home, for Lord, now she is just passing through. Lord, we praise you for that. 
Lord, we rejoice with all the host of heaven. Lord, I'm, I'm sitting here just imagining right now this moment what is going on around you. And Lord, we take part in that. We praise you. We rejoice that you have called another lost sheep into your fold. We praise you for Christ, for if it were not for him, we would not even be able to know you. We would not even be able to rightly stand here and say, how great is our God. For Lord, we would be singing to a God that we do not know. Lord, thank you that Ella this day knows you and will know you for all eternity. We pray all this in Christ's name. The church says... Amen. Missed.